everyone, it's Leanne from the Alberta Motorcycle Safety Society and welcome to Think Bike, a podcast about all things motorcycle and the voice of motorcycle safety and awareness in Alberta. We like to talk about everything motorcycle related and bring you great guests to share their stories. On today's podcast, we have an amazing guest with us who's been following our page and things that we do for probably the longest time. I'll, I'll ask Aaron that question, but Aaron Turner is joining us and we're going to talk about a subject we haven't been able to talk about yet on this podcast. And I'm happy you are the first and it is how quickly life can change after a collision. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So before we get into your story, tell me a little bit about what got you into riding. Like how long have you been riding for? What do you, what are you riding? Tell me about your passion for motorcycles. Uh, I've been riding for uh, 10 years this year and I got into it uh, back when I was in the military here in Edmonton in 2012, a bunch of my friends that I worked with rode. So they uh, kind of put some relentless pressure on me once I said I was remotely interested in bikes and got me doing that. So, yeah, I was hooked ever since. And uh, I'm riding a 2018 Harley Davidson Fat Bob right now, but I did start on a 2014 Yamaha Bolt. That's a great starter bike, actually. How long did you have that one before you, for lack of a better term, upgraded? Uh, I had that one for four to five years. 2017, I bought the Harley. So, yeah, it was a, a quite a big upgrade. But yeah, it was, it was a great bike. I put 50,000 K on that bike. I recommend it to anybody. Great starter bike. So where are some of your favorite places to go riding? Do you, I, I'm assuming, I, I hate to assume people are like me and hate riding in the city and rather go out the countryside, but tell me what your, what's your favorite riding? Uh, favorite riding in Alberta is, uh, obviously anywhere in the mountains, but I'm also a big fan of uh, Highway 22 between Crow's Nest Pass and all the way up to Drayton Valley. And then I also have done a fair bit of riding in the States as well. So I've been to Utah, Nevada, Idaho, all those places are really gorgeous as well. So if anyone has a chance to get down there, I recommend that as well. Yeah, there's some crazy roads. Like a lot of people don't understand that 93 actually goes from Jasper all the way down to Mexico. And there's some amazing scenery. I've done it too, as far as Utah. Oh, really? But okay. Not on a bike, but uh, going down to the salt flats, I, we did 93 one year. And uh, so down into Nevada, Utah area where I've, where I've been on 93 and it's beautiful. So yeah, I have ridden the salt flats. That was a really good time. So you have really, <laughs> I have. yeah, my wife and I both rode our bikes on the salt flats. It was fantastic. Well, we need to talk about that some other day because that is... Yeah, that can open I, up a whole thing, yeah. I mean, I'm guessing it wasn't a sanctioned event. You just kind of went and experienced yeah. the oh, joy. Yeah. yeah, you betcha. Yeah, no, um, it's once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It really is, It's uh, and it's an amazing space to be in. So over your years of riding, uh, you've probably seen a lot, and uh, and. I mean, the reason why you're here, you, you had a bit of a collision uh, incident. Can, can you talk about what happened that day leading up to this incident? Sure. Yeah. I was just working a, uh, I'm an electrician by trade. So I was just working an average work day on a Friday. It was an eight hour day, got home and had a shower and I was uh, just getting ready to head to a friend's birthday party. Just a, another guy in the motorcycle community on the South side of Edmonton. And I live in Mournville. So I was just getting everything ready. And I was, 
just leaving and it reminds me of a statistic i remember hearing that most crashes happen within like three or four miles of home and sure enough i hopped on the bike and was uh just riding down the main street in Mournville here. And I was just about to get to the turnoff onto the highway, uh, riding in the right hand lane of a four lane road. And there was a vehicle on my side that was waiting to turn left that obstructed the view of me and the person that hit me. And, uh, yeah, I was heading into the intersection and they turned left right in front of me and had no warning at all whatsoever. I just remember riding. And then the next moment I was on the ground, there was no in between really. Oh my God. That, and that is one of the biggest statistics in our community. That's usually in the top three is left turning vehicles and right. why we, why we started when we started AMSS, that was one of the first PSAs that we created. Um, so what types of injuries did you sustain from, from this? I mean, I can't imagine being hit and then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I'm on the road. Now what? Yeah, it was kind of interesting. Cause it was, uh, the way it happened, like I had no damage on my helmet. I didn't have any road rash at all. Like, and I wasn't, wasn't dressed up as well as I could have been that day. Usually I'm pretty good with my gear, but that day I was wearing kind of a light windbreaker and jeans had zero road rash. But I, uh, as I got ejected off the bike, I suspect it was my handlebars, but I had a complete tibia and fibia break and both ankles had a uh, hairline fractures all over them. So pretty, pretty serious, like breaks. So there was no minor injuries. It was just a couple of really serious ones. So it was just weird the way it happened, but yeah, like complete open fracture, like through the skin. It was not pretty. Oh, (laughs) so I'm guessing the driver of the vehicle remained on scene. They did. Yeah. So I I vaguely remember hearing someone apologizing and I was just kind of in my adrenaline mode. I was staring directly at the ground and I knew not to move and especially my head and neck area. So I was, comforted by some nice asphalt to look at but they did stay on scene and i had lots of witnesses so luckily there was some uh quick-witted citizens that blocked me and my bike off with their pickup trucks so they kind of made a barricade of vehicles around me until the uh, emergency services could show up so yeah Yeah, it's a bit of a chaotic scene but it was good well and 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 that's exactly what you're supposed to do. We had uh, Justin Napick on earlier this season talking about the reminders of uh, collision scene. And that's what he says. It can, can you block off to make sure that there's no more additions to what is going on to make sure that the person who's injured can be cared for until the proper people arrive. So that's great that you had smart people on scene yes. first to help you out because it takes pressure off of you where you can then just, I guess, gaze at the asphalt until somebody exactly, gets there. Yeah. And adrenaline's a heck of a thing. Cause it was, it was a oddly calm moment, but I knew immediately I'd broken my leg. The pain wasn't there because of the adrenaline, but I just felt this like warm heat on my leg the entire time. So I knew something was seriously wrong and just kind of had to just be patient and wait for emergency. I, I can relate to that from a horseback riding incident that, that I had as well. So I understand that adrenaline moment, but you feel that, you know, something's really wrong. So you just don't move. Right. Um, yeah. Same kind of, not through the skin though. Ugh, I just, <laughs> sorry. I just, I wasn't okay. prepared for that myself. But. Just add some weight to the uh, seriousness <laughs> of the whole thing. But <laughs> So going from there, you're taken into the hospital. Like what, how has this affected you? Like what, sorry, let's, I'm a little torn by this, this through the skin thing. Um, you go to the hospital, what do they do? Like what was the full seriousness surgeries, you know, rehab? What did that look like? So immediately in the hospital, I was uh, given a lot of uh, 
pretty powerful opioids to deal with the pain because as soon as the adrenaline had worn off, it got pretty bad. And I was in a I was in a spine board for about seven hours. So I was just laying there kind of stuck looking at the ceiling for seven hours until a CT scan could happen. So after that, they did the CT scan. That's when they found the breaks and all the hairline fractures. And uh, 10 a.m. the next morning, the crash happened at about 5 p.m. the night prior. The next morning, I was uh, wheeled into surgery and they put a titanium rod into my fibia. So luckily, I didn't have any super severe joint injuries where I needed like joints fused or anything like that. But yeah, I've got one one titanium rod in my leg now as a result of that. You're bionic. Yeah, got some uh, very expensive metal going around. So. <laughs> and then how long was it before you got back on a motorcycle? Because you still ride, correct? I do, yeah. So I was, uh, the recovery time, I was spent about two months in a wheelchair. So when I got home, I uh, I was bound to my living room. And unfortunately, our only shower is upstairs. So like I was living in the living room and I was like taking, taking baths in my living room. So like that's just like how insane... <laughs> this was so my wife was still working at the time she was five months pregnant with our first child so she had to kind of have everything set up for me so that I could get to the wheelchair and then yeah after that it was a month on the walker two months um on crutches so I wasn't medically discharged to be like ready to go back to work until February of the next year in 2021 so about six months total and then uh, I was pretty eager to get back on a bike. So I think it was, I want to say May the following year, I got back on my wife's bike because mine was kind of in pieces and waiting to get fixed. So yeah, I rode my wife's bike and I was, I was pretty itchy to get back on. I think after 10 years of riding, it's, it's hard to even let a crash scare you out of that. But I understand the apprehensions newer riders would have after a crash. So yeah, and, and getting back into riding isn't necessarily everybody's outcome after a collision. I guess it may depend on severity, it may depend on confidence. You obviously just had to do it, which is which is great. You're on the socials a lot. And so you see a lot of the things that I see, which is the frustration of people saying, it's my life, I ride how I want, what happens to me doesn't affect others. How did that affect your wife? I mean, she's uh, pregnant and now caring for you. Yeah, it was a pretty, it affected her in a lot of ways in her riding more than me because she rides her own motorcycle as well. So I think she had a harder time getting back on a bike than I did, even even though she wasn't the direct victim of the crash. But just seeing the suffering I went through and just being bound to the living room for months and it was it was a lot. And like, obviously, there's a lot of increased stress with having to work and and be pregnant with our first child. So, yeah, it was a bit more severe for her. For me, it's just a little bit more apprehension on left turns. I'm a little, I was always a very diligent and vigilant rider and I've come to terms with the fact that there was nothing I could do to change the outcome of my crash just because I didn't have the visibility to do so. But yeah, just like just that increased hypervigilance at uh, intersections is the biggest thing. Of course, if you could take that day back, you probably would. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would imagine the driver of the other vehicles probably saying the same thing to this day. Exactly. And that's why I don't hold it against them too much because I'm not the one who has to live with the traumatic memory of a motorcyclist going over the hood of my car. And that's how I kind of cope with uh, when I was having some issues with uh, resentment and anger. That's that's the thing I always keep reminding myself of is that I don't have that image stuck in my head. Like I went through something pretty bad, but I would hate to be a driver and forever have the memory of a motorcyclist going over the hood of my car. So that's how I kind of cope with the resentment part of it. That's a fantastic way to have your brain kind of go through this with you. Cause there's a lot of people that 
as you know, we all as motorcycle riders get lumped into one category. And then, so then we lump a bunch of bad drivers into one category and there's so much hate out there for everything. And to just forgive and let go is probably a good part of the mental health healing. Yeah. And any of us are one simple mistake away from being that driver, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't mean that up until that point they had been a reckless driver like it's we're just one moment one distraction one look back at the kid in the back seat and you could change someone's life right so yeah i don't hold it against them oh that that's very very big of you so thank you for that insight what kind of advice do you have for our riders out there um you know like obviously you were also saying that i'm gonna guess you think you got lucky in the fact that you weren't fully geared up that day yeah, exactly. So I, I try to be a little more diligent with my gear now, but, uh, yeah, full face helmets are a big thing for me. Like I made the change for comfort purposes, but after being in that crash, I can imagine had my head hit the ground harder than it did. It could have been a little uglier. Most injuries are to the jaw. So I highly recommend those. And, uh, yeah, just again, leather jackets, like had I not hit that car so abruptly, I could have been sliding across the road for a while and, Skin injuries can lead to a big infection risk, which makes it harder to heal from your more serious ones. So that's something people tend to forget about is that road rash can be just like a compounding barrier to healing. So, Well, and if you're spending a bazillion dollars on artwork on your skin, you also don't really want to lose that. (laughs) Exactly. And I know most of us have a significant amount of tattoos. So that's a big motivating factor, I think, too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like you did get lucky in the no road rash thing. And uh, I'm happy to hear that gear is a little bit more prevalent. Not that gear is going to save you from a broken leg. It's essentially there to try and keep you in one piece. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And what about other types of advice? Like what's your what's your standpoint on training? Uh, training, I think is fantastic. So I got started in riding. I never took a basic riders course, but I did end up, uh, three or four years into my riding career. Uh, I took an advanced training course with TNT and that was super valuable. And the moment I took that course, it was a lot of fun, but it immediately made me wish I had done a basic riding course back when I was starting riding. So I recommend anybody to do that because it's riding straight in a And riding in a straight line on a highway is very easy, but it's all the fine motor control and collision avoidance that you need someone to kind of show you how to build the muscle memory for. So once they get you on the right track, you can practice it yourself. But yeah, training's invaluable. Like I I was super happy with the advanced riding course. And even for people that like myself that have been riding for 10 years, like I'm considering doing more courses in the future just as a reminder or just to learn something new. So yeah, definitely highly recommend that. I think we tend to, the, the longer we ride, um, I got a few more years than you do in this, in this fun world of ours. Um, I think the longer we ride, the more kind of complacent we can get and bad habits we might pick up again. And I think training is a great way to knock some sense back into you. Absolutely. So going back to that day, is there any other way that people could have maybe avoided the same outcome that you had? I know you said you had zero visibility of that vehicle and obviously they had no visibility of you. What would be some things that you do now that help to ensure you get through intersections safely? Uh, So the biggest thing, the only one thing I could figure out that would have been better is that left turning vehicle that obstructed both of our lines of sight. 
uh, it would just simply be pull up behind that vehicle waiting to turn left and just like let them turn left, just take a second, sit there, wait for them to go. And as soon as that line of sight's clear, then you're good. Cause that way, like it's going to cost you an extra 30 seconds of waiting for a vehicle to turn left. But that's the only way I think I could have avoided the collision. So I would recommend like you've got a big box truck or a semi truck that's kind of blocking your view going into a busy intersection. Just pull behind the semi truck, come to a stop behind them, wait for them to turn left. And then you can go straight in that same lane after your vision's clear. So I'd recommend that. That's not a bad idea. Um, how do you feel now going through what you went through and the fact that left-hand turns tend to be a high statistic, what would be your opinion on having most intersections with dedicated left turn lanes with left turn on arrow only? Uh, super in support of that. And I used to have a, uh, used to have a romantic partner in Texas back probably 10 10 to 12 years ago and I was in uh, Houston and as far as I could tell every single lighted intersection in the Houston area is, is that way. Like you cannot turn left without a dedicated left turn arrow. So I think any lighted intersection, especially when it's four way intersection, not so much T intersections, but the four way ones, I would absolutely support that. It's such a simple, such a simple implementation that would save a lot of lives. I think it would be great to start with, especially the busiest roads. Right. And I'm still surprised in Edmonton and a city of a million people and some of the really busy, like six lane roads, how many of them still don't have those. And there's some that have a slight curve onto them. And like my wife was the victim of uh, one of these crashes. She didn't collide with the vehicle, but she still went down a few years ago. And same kind of thing, just like an obstructed view. This was on Grote Road and uh, 111th Ave. And that's an intersection that I think they just last year put one in. But I've noticed such an increase in safety at that intersection alone from one simple light being added. So... Yeah, I think in bigger cities, like it should almost be mandatory. Such a simple implementation. It, it would be. It, it's something as easy as pedestrian crossing lights as well. But exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a whole other story. Um, outside of that big incident in your life, and you had just mentioned your wife had a, a lesser incident, but an incident nonetheless. Have you had any other like close calls or hard lessons learned in your 10 years of riding? Um, I did have a close call. It's kind of funny that you asked that because on, uh, I, I'm a big fan of night riding and I was working a evening shift on Friday. So I got off work at midnight and I ended up having to call, uh, 911 on an apparently impaired driver that almost hit me on the way back from St. Albert to Mournville. So I, uh, luckily I have a Senna Bluetooth. So I was able to call that way, but not really a fun time i noticed that they kind of were driving erratically so i just tried to get some space between them and then yes yeah, soon soon enough they're pulling up right beside me a foot away so that's a recent one <laughs> very oh, recent geez. but i mean there's just so many hazards out there for us between road construction potholes wildlife wild drivers you know and then of course our here's a good one for you as a as a decade-long rider with our statistics lately, there have been the majority of fatalities in our province have been of rider error. What would you say to our own community to help us help them lower that statistic? Yeah, that's a scarier one too. I've noticed a, uh, I don't know if it's just because I'm seeing it online and that there's a big group like Ride in Alberta where it kind of populates all of us. So maybe it's just an inflated statistic that way, but I'm noticing a lot of people still riding without a classics license or, and obviously some of these people have been riding for a very long time. So it's a little, not purely indicative of skill level, but you just got to kind of slow down a little bit and 
if you've got that weird butterfly feeling in your stomach, that's probably something telling you that like, you, you got to trust your gut. Like if you're going around a curve or something's feeling weird, trust it and just like, just slow down for a second and it, it'll save you a bunch of time. I've had some sketchy curves where I kind of had to just like slow down for the rest of a ride. So uh, yeah, training and just trusting your gut. Like if you're, if you've got that weird butterfly feeling in your stomach, when you're riding quickly or doing something that's outside of your comfort zone, you should probably listen to that and take caution. And I think though, one of the big ones is ride your own ride. You don't need to keep up with these other people. Exactly. That's a big thing too. Like it's, uh, that was a hard thing to get over with a new rider. Like you see everyone very confident and going fast and you feel, especially when I was a young 22 year old getting started on bikes, you, you, that competitive spirit kind of rises up in you and outweighs the uh, sane, safe mind you have. So lean towards a safe, sane mind. It's not a competition. There's time for competition. And I mean, like you can always take racing lessons at a racetrack too, right? Like you want to get that outlet. There's, there's always a legal outlet for safer ways of getting your adrenaline rush as well. That is don't have an, to do it on the street. <laughs> that is an absolute excellent point to, to end on is the take it to the track. There are those options in both Calgary and Edmonton now. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big one. They're, they're out there and they're available. Uh, one quick last question for you, for others who may be considering coming on our podcast to talk about their story, how do you feel about people sharing their personal experiences? Uh, I think it's an important thing to do. Um, and for me, like it's, a, it, I'm three years removed from the crash now, but it is still therapeutic to talk about it, especially in a bigger venue and just not try to scare anybody, but just to... Uh, show that there are consequences to things and no matter how right you think you are on the road, the motorcyclist always loses, right? Like it doesn't matter who is in the right or wrong, getting home is the important thing. So you got to drop the ego sometimes, drop the uh, fire in your belly that wants to road rage at someone that cuts you off. It's easier to just let someone go and you're always, you're always going to lose, right? Whether it's a road rage scenario, a crash, anything like getting home is the most important part. So yeah, I, I support people definitely sharing their experiences with stuff like this for sure. Yeah. And our intentions having you on wasn't to scare people. It was just to maybe wake some people up from some behaviors that they're having that anything could happen at any time, whether it's in your control or not. Right. Yeah. So do maximize the things you can control for sure. Absolutely. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for always supporting uh, AMSS. I, I know you're always paying attention to our socials and stuff. And we really appreciate your comments and your feedback and, and your willingness to come onto the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. What a great, powerful message that was from Aaron. Now let's get into this mailbag question of the day. It is from Patty in Red Deer. This is an easy one to answer. How many unlicensed riders can one class six take out? Technically, by law, there is actually no limit in how many class five or class seven riders a full class six license holder, that means non-GDL, can take out with them. However, it is absolutely highly suggested because you are the responsible party and chaperone for these new riders that unless you are a licensed instructor, 
we highly suggest you keep that at a one-to-one ratio where you're only taking out one rider and supervising them. It's just a lot to keep under control. You got to stay together, all that stuff. So yes, on the unlicensed riders, please try and keep it one-to-one unless you are a licensed instructor. Thank you so much. That is our show today to make sure that you don't miss out on any of our upcoming podcasts or to listen to previous ones. Make sure you click on subscribe or follow wherever you get yours. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover or a guest you think would be great on the show or a question for the mailbag, let us know. You can connect with us on all the socials. Email us at info at ab-amss.org or reach out through our website at ab-amss.org. Always remember to ride smart, ride safe, and think bike. We will see you out on the road.